The Christchurch-based author Rachel King has drawn on her love of Scottish folklore and the natural world in her new novel for young readers, The Grimmelings. It's her fourth book, two are adult fiction, The Sound of Butterflies and Magpie Hall, and a previous children's book, Red Rocks, which is currently in development for television. The Grimmelings tells the story of 13-year-old Ella, who, with her beloved pony, has to try to break the curse of a malevolent black horse-like creature that hovers over her family and community. It's Rachel King's first book in 12 years, but she's hardly been idle, having for eight years been Programme Director of the Word Christchurch Writers' Festival until the end of 2021. Rachel's also played bass guitar in six bands, worked in bookshops, radio, television and magazines. The UK rights to the Grimmelings have been sold already. Here's what David Mitchell, author of Cloud Atlas and the Bone Clocks, has said about Rachel King's writing here. It's compelling, lovingly crafted young adult novel about magic, liminal spaces, language and folkloric fusion. Her dialogue glitters quietly. Might be glisters, Rachel. Good morning, how are you? Morena, Catherine. I'm very well, thank you. Apparently the saying is, and we're going to talk about language all the time, apparently the saying is, all that glisters is not gold, but I've never been able to confirm that. Oh, that's so interesting. I know. Uh, language infuses this book, um, and we'll talk about why. But, you know, how exciting to, to have it out there, have such a response, the right snapped up already. I know. It's been great, actually. Um, I, I feel like I've spent 12 years in the wilderness, um, but in some ways, maybe actually having 12 years off writing um, means that you're in, you know, you, I've probably read hundreds of books in that time and hopefully gotten wiser. So maybe in the background, I was, you know, writing all along and, and this is the result. 12 years in the, in the um, wilderness is interesting, isn't it? It's, it's life, actually, sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and life has to be lived in order for writers to write. Did you miss it over that time, or were you just so busy with life? It was both, really. I mean, uh, the the job I did at Word was incredibly demanding, but it was also creatively fulfilling as well, because it was a very creative job, because I had to, you know, come up with a vision for the festival, I guess, and, you know, ideas for, for, for new ways to present books and words to an audience and come up with creative collaborations and everything like that. But the whole time, uh, I mean, you know, and the other thing I loved about it was I got to support writers and elevate them and and show people that, that they're important. And But at the back of my mind, you know, I was just con- conscious of the months and the years ticking by when I'd always said that that was what I was going to do with my life was be a be an author, and um, and a long time was going past without me writing. I mean, I did write some, you know, I did write some things, um, but they were mostly sort of one-off kind of articles or book reviews or something like that. But and I did attempt a few short, short stories, but I never really finished them. So tell us about the Grimmelings and uh, our heroine Ella. Let's hear a little of the story. Sure. So Ella lives on a horse trekking farm uh, somewhere in the South Island around the lakes. Um, it's loosely based on the Mackenzie Basin, but it's really a, a fictional a fictional place. Um, and she lives with her mother, Morag, and her grandmother, Grizzly, who's Scottish, and her little sister, Fiona. And uh, 
some years previously, her grandfather has drowned in the lake and her father, six years before, has gone missing from the lake and has never turned up. And Ella holds out hope that he's just going to walk in the door one day, but his, her mother is just convinced, well, he's, he's obviously gone. He's at the bottom of the lake somewhere. And, uh, yeah, and then on the first page, uh, a local boy goes missing after Ella has said to him on the bus, you're cursed, Josh Underhill. And that very same evening, the black horse appears on the hill above the house. Our setting is the South Island, um, and does that, it's the high country, I think, does that add to the sort of sense of foreboding? How much is setting a character in novels like these? Uh, I mean, I'm a huge fan of really atmospheric novels where where the landscape plays a huge part in it so I'm thinking I mean people often ask me what my influences are and I think Susan Cooper who wrote the Darkest Rising series is probably the biggest um, and she always you know um, uses landscape in that way just to enhance the the atmosphere of the book and um, it's such a incredible landscape around there. Well, everywhere in the in the South Island. I'm a North Islander, you see, so I still have not gotten over my awe of South Island landscapes when I drive through them. You know, I didn't grow up being able to drive down the main street and look up and see snowy mountains, for instance. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to uh, just give the sense of this huge landscape but also the magic of landscape the the kind of psychic residue of the people who've lived on those landscapes uh, the magic that dwells under the landscapes or within them um, and yeah I, I hope that I've I've achieved that with this book as well yeah you're not the only North Island writer very successful New Zealand writer who said the South Island still captures them captures them in awe and in what way do we make this a what way do we make this a, a sort of a that sense of it being an ancient story and ancient you know an ancient repetition story in many ways isn't it it's the um, it's drawing on 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 classics in many ways and classics inspirations in what way do you make it contemporary are there some um, aspects not just to the landscape but to the backdrop of the um, community here that make it very contemporary and very New Zealand. Yeah, I've I've also seen people say that it's uh, contemporary, but it's also timeless and could have been set any time in the last fifty years. Uh, um, there's a lot of books I think um, date themselves by putting up to date technology in them, for instance. Um, uh, yeah, so. One thing that was really important to me, the fact that I was bringing a Scottish creature from folklore here, is to make very clear that this creature doesn't belong here. So it sits very uneasily in the New Zealand landscape because, of course, this land is already full of existing stories. (laughs) And so I hope that... um, There's an environmental message in that. Yes, definitely. Um, also with uh, the Mackenzie Basin, I was so in, so. Grizzly brings a rowan tree with her. Well, she plants a rowan tree uh, because traditionally that wards off these kind of fairies and witches. Um, and it was really interesting. I googled whether rowan trees were actually in New Zealand, and I found that in the Mackenzie Basin they're actually a pest. And 
the birds carry the seeds all over the countryside and they grow up and they've had to eradicate them. So I thought, wow, that's I'm grabbing that. That's fantastic. Um, and then, of course, there's the controversy around the um, the dairy the big dairy and the dairy platforms and the um, the petitions to to keep them out of the Mackenzie Basin. So I thought, well, perfect. Gran's, a, Gran's an environmental activist who's chained herself to the bulldozers to stop the dairy platforms. Um, so it, it all just all that stuff just arose very naturally in the, in the course of oh, writing the book. Some acclimatisation society member would have brought them over here back in the day, and it's a lovely connection back to Scotland in a way, of course. Um, um, because there'll be many people for whom um, the flavours here and the language here, um, uh, you know, is, is potentially lived experience going back generations. What exactly is or are the Grimmelings? So the Grimmelings, oh, I just love that word so much. Uh, it kind of implies that it's their little funny creatures that, <laughs> that, I don't know, live under bushes or something. But actually the Grimmelings is an old uh, Scots word which derives from the Norwegian which refers to the first and last gleams of light in the day. So it's that wonderful kind of witching hour, sort of twilight, um, which is my absolute favourite time of day. And the word, I found the word actually through Robert McFarlane's uh, Twitter account where he used to tweet a word a day. Uh, and they were all nature words, and they they come from all over the place, but but a lot of them were Scottish, and of course that led me to his amazing book Landmarks, which is all about language and landscape, and it was just a wealth of these beautiful, wonderful words. And very early on in the book, actually, I think even before I'd started writing it, I decided that Grizzly was going to collect these words, and she was going to write them on scraps of paper. And she was going to leave them around the house and beside Ella's toothbrush in her riding boots in the pocket of her jacket um, so that she could uh, learn the words and then she would challenge them to, to challenge her to use them as well. And I just love the idea of incorporating all these these interesting, unusual, unknown words into a New Zealand children's book. This is the star in some ways for some of us. Well, there's many. There's a wonderful story. There's some wonderful characters. Um, but this is the star also, the celebration of language. Um, Ella's relationship with her Scottish granny, with Grizzly, a self-described word hoard. She collected words like other people collected old coins or pottery owls. Um, what's the, the, there's, a, there's a dual meaning to language here. One is the beauty of it. And the second is the power of it, Rachel. Yes, the yes, power yes. of words. Yes. Yeah. But let's talk about this passion you have for, um, you know, each word, we, each chapter rather, we have a new word drawn from where? Well, a lot of them come from landmarks, um, but also a few of them come from the Scottish Dictionary online. Uh, and and do you know what? Often when you're researching books like this, you you find things and then you forget where you found them. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I've definitely made made sure that I've acknowledged Robert McFarlane's amazing work in the book as well. Um, but I mean, I use kapua as well, the Maori word for cloud, because um, you know Grizzly uses language to ground herself in her new country as well. But then there's also words that I already knew, but that children might not necessarily know. Um, things like susurration, which is a beautiful word for, you know, whispering or rustling. Um, you know, the water being jabbly, insured. It's clumpy. <laughs> glumpy. girling and huffling. 
Yes, girling and huffling the wind words. She teaches her all the different uh, names for the for the wind. I mean, my favourite. Um, I think my favourite ones are the words for icicles, as well, where the the girls kind of make a little chant out of them, which it almost sounds like a poem, I guess. Um, I was just going to try and find it in my book, but I can't can't quite see it here in order to say it. But um, oh, I just had so much fun with it. Oh, here we go. Can I just read the, the – it's only like eight words. It was ickle, shuckle, clinkerbell, daggler, tankle, shockle, aquabob, snipe. All the different words for just icicles. joy. Just joy, isn't it? Mm. Where, you, you mentioned you have a love, obviously, of language, um, but you have this love of Scottish Folklore. In fact, you've said it reflects my love for my obsession with Scottish folklore. The weirder, the better. Where did that start? At whose knee? At whose knee? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I'm not sure whether I came upon it myself. I mean, I had a, a Scottish great grandmother who I remember, but I was very small when she died. Um, so I guess you know. Obviously, I wrote a book about selkies, which is a classic um, and very well known Scottish folklore creature um yeah I I I I can't really say where it first started actually um but my my obsession of late has kind of gone into actually somebody sent me a link to Robin Robertson's poem at Roan Head about Selkies after I wrote Red Rocks and I just was transfixed I recommend anybody go on YouTube and and look it up because he reads it um, straight to the camera. It's mesmerising. But he he's been a huge influence on this book actually, because he wrote he writes invented Scots folk narratives, which really are folk horror in poetry form, um, and they're just they're just amazing. They're uncanny and weird and dark, so dark, and just. It just excites me. I don't on a visceral level. I don't know why. Well, that's the beauty of a lot of the literature children read, and particularly the classic literature children read, um, and even the folk tales, which are frankly horror stories. Many of them, isn't it? But I, I wanted to talk about the universal theme in some ways of children's literature, which is some kind of existential threat. And you're on your own. You know, the adults can't help, and then courage and agency and overcoming. Um, that threat. What, what would you say the essence of it of it is for, for younger readers? The essence of story. Of, yes, yes. Or the fundamentals of, of stories that younger readers just latch on to. Yeah, I think it's about it's often about peril, um, and whether that's physical peril or internal peril. It's about conflict, often with um, people their own age, or in this case, obviously a um, the threat of a of a monster that dwells in the lake. Mm. Um, they're always about. I mean, children's books, if they don't have a happy ending, which they usually do, they at least have hope. Um, you are, you know, when you're writing for children, you do have to kind of make sure they don't end the book falling into a pit of despair. <laughs> it's interesting the way you resolve it, and obviously we can't talk about it here, but it's no. very interesting the way you resolve it. Uh, it's inventive the way you resolve that, that challenge here. Thank you. You, you, also, um, you also say in the acknowledgement for the book that this is my attempt to recross the threshold to my childhood with all the knowledge and experience I have as a backward-looking adult meeting my forward-yearning younger self just over the threshold. Now, that's rather beautiful. But what insights have you drawn 
from that experience? That's a good question. Um, so in the last few years I've been reading a lot of, I've been revisiting a lot of the books that I read as a child and I've been writing about them as well in the spin-off. Uh, and that exercise has been very interesting for me, thinking about um, how how the books we read as children, and actually the author Catherine Rundell talks about this a lot as well, is that children absorb stories into their whole beings and their bodies. She talks about it being in their marrow and their bones and their eyelashes and their fingernails. And I think that's so true that the books that you read as a child, and you might not know it at the time, they can shape your worldview and they can, they can, I mean, I'm just thinking of going back again to Susan Cooper, who I read as a 12 year old and, and she kind of, she just kind of taught me to respect the wild magic and, um, you know, they obviously they create empathy and understanding and they're just so important. And my forward yearning younger self, I guess, it refers to the fact that, you know, you, you dream about what your life's going to be like. Um, and, and reading books kind of fuels those dreams. And so now that I'm, you know, ancient, <laughs> well, not quite yet, but um, it's been really wonderful getting back in touch with that my younger self um, and kind of, yeah, meeting. Is it, is, I mean, is the, it the, a renewal as a writer, actually, in some ways? It's actually been... It's been a really amazing couple of years, actually, Catherine, I have to say, um, immersing myself in those stories. But also, because uh, when, when I wrote Red Rocks, which was uh, came out 12 years ago, I, I set out to write a children's book. And this time I just set out to write a book. Um, and it happens to be a children's book. But I... I Really, I'm really grateful to Creative New Zealand because they gave me quite a generous grant that actually allowed me to just sink into the process of, you know, because so often when you're writing, you're snatching it in between, you know, doing your day job and everything. But reading is such an important part of writing and walking is such an important part of writing and all of that. And, yeah, I really just feel like I've I've allowed myself just to sink into the the process of understanding stories and and, and channel, channeling them into writing my own. What happens from here was, um, was I reading that one of your other books ha- is to be adapted for um, film production, Rachel? Yes, Red Rocks That's is exciting. going to be a television series. Um, it's in development with Libertine Pictures at the moment and as the title suggests, it's going to be shot in Wellington hmm. at Red Rocks. Um, I can't tell you too much more about it, but um, it's it's pretty intensely exciting. I'm just I have wondering to say. how the hell the crew's going to get out there over all that gravel, but you'll work it out. <laughs> um, and and the Grimlings, as we said, right snapped up in the UK. This is this has got a future ahead of it as well. I know you've just delivered it to the world, but um, you know, one can see the future for it as well. Are you optimistic of that? I I am. I I mean, Guppy Publishing, who've uh, uh, Guppy Books rather, who've picked it up in the UK, are such a gorgeous publisher, and I knew that they were right for the book. They're they're quite a small um, independent publisher. They've only been around for five years, but uh, Bella Pearson, who's the editor, used to be at David Fickling Books, who of course published people like S. F. Said and Philip Pullman. 
Um, so she really knows her stuff. And because they're small, they're kind of nimble, um, they're able to bring it out reasonably quickly, whereas a bigger publisher, it might have been another year or two. Um, they love the book, which, um, you know, obviously speaks to my heart. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm so far, I mean, they've sent it out to school librarians um, over there already and I've already started getting really great feedback so I'm really hoping this New Zealand book is going to be all throughout UK schools Wonderful Rachel, congratulations and keep on going, thank you, that is Rachel King The Grimmelings, is her first novel in 12 years and it's a cracker for uh, younger readers